interview with Mike Apicella. Uh, if you didn't hear last week, go back and listen to it so you know what's going on. And then once the interview's over, he's going to read a few pieces of his published writing. This episode is being hosted by SpliceToday.com, and the art, once again, is by Mike Riley at MikeRileyComics.com. Let's, Let's go, go in. in. It was uh, 1997, yeah, and that was Eli Jones, Chris James, Josh Marchand, and me. Yeah. That was our first tour for all of us. I booked it. Uh, it was supposed to be a week. I think it ended up being four shows. Let me think. We played in Lancaster, Pennsylvania at a house. Uh, we played at WFMU when it was in East Orange, New Jersey, mm. not in Jersey City like it is now. Uh, we played in no we played five shows actually so we did play almost a week of shows yeah cincinnati ohio no it was four i'm sorry cincinnati ohio we had a show it was canceled we drove all the way there and didn't find out that it was canceled until we got there mm. <laughs> um in defense of cincinnati a bunch of crust punk kids did tell us we could play like two or three songs or something at their show this other show that was on the same street as the venue that we were supposed to play at yeah, we also played in Durham, North Carolina, and Raleigh, North Carolina. It was it was cool. I mean, you know, lost tons of money. I mean, yeah. like, you're supposed to play, like, seven shows, only did, like, four. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't say it was a success, but, I mean, <clears throat> it was a great, like, learning experience. And it was cool to be able to get the Towson Glen Arm stuff out, you know. You know, get somebody like Eli Jones, just knowing that he was out and did an actual tour, and people from someplace other than Maryland got to see him yeah. and hear him, you know, like, and, and you know, get in touch with that. Because <clears throat> we were really the only band uh, from the Towson Glen Arm scene that ever toured. Right, right. That was it, you know. That's the touring legacy of Towson yeah. Glen Arm, our tour. Like, you know, those four shows, you know, a <laughs> mini tour, I guess. But... Yeah, it was cool, you know, and it was, like, hard to book. You know, it was hard yeah. to convince people to book us, like, you know, and, th you know, we never played with other bands that sounded like us, obviously. There's even, like, you know, the Superstation dabbled in conventional music, but, I mean, I would definitely not say that they sounded terribly like another band. I mean, some of the stuff yeah. was a little Nirvana-ish, like, era-sounding, 90s-sounding, but some of it... Some of the stuff, you know, particularly when Eli joined, some of the stuff got, like, really, really far out there. Yeah. You know, and was, like, to me, doesn't sound like any band I've heard. Yeah. You know, like, um, you know, so it was tough, you know. I mean, it was, like, people who were booking punk didn't want to book us because we were too melodic. People who were booking indie rock didn't want to book us because it was too weird. Right. And people that, you know, were booking experimental music just wouldn't even return our phone calls because like they had this really narrow definition of what being experimental was all about you know yeah you know uh which is funny to think about <laughs> you know so and did were you like did you have this idea of yourself like i want to be on the road all the time and stuff or was it like ah you know i think the touring thing was just like you know that was something that came about as a result of the collapse of the actual 
Towson Glen Arm scene, yeah. the scene of Towson Glen Arm, the, the movement, like the social click of Towson Glen Arm being sort of something that was disintegrating. You know, that tour happened like literally like the week before Dave Wilmaine's death. You know? Oh, so like it was like, you know, totally that was the tail end of it. You know, it was obvious like to us, even I didn't know anything that was going on with him. I didn't like I said, it was a shock that he was going to kill himself, yeah. you know, like. But, I mean, we did that tour, you know, kind of knowing that things were going to change a lot and that the scene wasn't the same or maybe it didn't even exist. Because at right. that point, by 97, you know, the small intestine was large and in charge of the local all-ages scene in the yeah. Baltimore area. You know, like, every band, even bands from Baltimore City and bands from all over the country were playing there, you know. Totally. So it was clear that that was the main venue and that was Hamilton. And Hamilton had this whole thriving scene of its own and artists yeah. surrounding it. That seemed to be sort of what was kind of taking Towson Glenham's place. They didn't really have the political consciousness, you know, but they were still like a bunch of kids and they were still doing stuff outside of the established order of rock music. Yeah. You know, because they what... were having all these touring bands, though. Yeah. And like I'd already, you know, through Matt Bray's shows, he was booking in, I mean, national touring bands at his basement. Yeah. We had already like become like really kind of familiar with the touring lifestyle. Mm. and like how that was something unique so yeah you know we wanted to experience that we were curious about it i don't think we thought we were going to get famous after that tour even if it was successful right you know but like we we wanted to know what it was like and saw that as a viable option to just working a crappy job at a gas station or whatever like yeah. teenage kids normally do yeah yeah <laughs> you know at totally. that that time you know well anyway um so you know I was in, you know, the hardcore band. I was in CCS. You know, uh, we broke up specifically so Human Host could form, basically. Mm. That was, like, really the main reason, you know. Um, and, you know, I knew from the beginning, the one thing I knew about Human Host, like, you know, within the context of having worked with CCS for, like, five years or whatever, like, you know, I knew that Human Host would succeed because I knew that I was doing it like, for all the right reasons, and that, like, no matter what, even if it just ended up being Towson Glen Arm 2 and the same, like, 20 or 30 goofballs liked it and no one else, I was still gonna really love it, because, first of all, like, you know, it was a more open-ended thing, it was, like, Human Hosts basically addresses, like, everything, you know, and everything on its own terms, so that's really confusing. <laughs> oh, wait, what do you mean by that? I mean, you know, can you know, like the whole thing with Ta with Towson Glenarm was, you know, we wanted to make, like I said, this music that was, you know, going to make the world a better place. You know, our world, the world we individually lived in. Yeah. You know, like, but also the world that all people lived in around us. You know, everybody would be happier as a result of crazy weird art. <laughs> you know, or so we thought. Uh, you know, Human Host was, was sort of taking the idea of deconstructing things to the next level and just, you know, I mean, it's hard to say because the band name Human Host kind of says it all. A lot of the ideas just come out. I don't really know where they, they're coming from, you know, and I think that's like, you know, when I started tapping into that, like sort of like letting the ideas come to me as opposed to creating things really self-consciously. You know, um, that's when I knew I'd found something that I was really, really good at and that I would stick with, mm. you know, as an artist. Yeah. You know, and, you know, um, 
you know, when you have, like, sort of, like, a lot of confusion going on, you know, when things aren't very well-defined, you know, like, before you actually know a fact, when you're, like, sort of realizing what a fact is and if a fact is true or false, you know, there's just total, you know, nebulous stuff going on. So I knew that, like, by creating things which were nebulous and letting ideas come to me in this nebulous way, you know, I'd be helping a lot of people out because, like, that's what, you know, the kind of nebulous confusion is the thing that's at the beginning of uh, people developing understanding and enlightenment and stuff. Yeah. So right there, I was like, I mean, I've already succeeded beyond my wildest dreams. Yeah. This can only get better, you know, like, and... You know, we came to the practice, and I, I just threw everything out on the table. I talked about Towson Glenarm to Josh and Corey. It was me, Josh, and Corey originally at the right. very, very, very first practice. Like, you know, and, you know, I was just like, look, you know, like, we were like, you know, for me and Josh anyway, we were like forcing a square peg into a circle, you know, for five years or whatever. You guys all felt like that with your different... I definitely Project. felt like that. Yeah. I think Josh kind of felt like that, but not really. Yeah. Because Josh, you know, quit CCS, you know, oh. like, um, you know, so yeah, yeah. I'd say he was actually on the same page with me about that. Yeah, definitely. I'm sorry. So yeah, Josh and I, like, you know, I, I both sort of said to Corey, you know, like, yeah, you know, we were really feeling like square pegs being forced into a circle and that just wasn't a good feeling. And now we're not going to do that anymore. And we're never going to do anything like that ever again, as long as I'm involved with this, you know? Yeah. And like, you know, we talked about all this different stuff. I was like, you know, human host, this idea, you know, like being sort of like possessed by art, letting like art come into you as opposed to like you like controlling it, you know, like letting it do whatever it wants to do and letting all the ideas come from everywhere. Just being an open book, being accepting, understanding things, rolling with the punches you know, or just not even being someplace where there are any punches at all, <laughs> mm. you know, like, this was, like, the kind of thing that, that we need to do, you know, Human Host could be a book, or a series of books, Human Host could be a TV show, it could be a band, we could do whatever we want now, you know, and mm. that was, like, laid out from the beginning, you know, it was like, we, from now on, we go with, you know, whatever the inspiration is, you know, we let the, the inspiration take control, you know, and if other people don't want to do that, if you want to lay things out and have blueprints and like study and analyze and dissect frogs and use magnifying glasses, get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> like that's not, that's not us anymore. I mean, I'll admit it when we produce records that post-production can be pretty nerdy, but I mean, other than that, you know, like, you know, there's never like. There's never really, like, anything other than just ourselves being affected by the world around us, you know, when human host creates, you know. It's As opposed to... It's a natural part of, of our everyday lives. That's what I believe. Okay. You know, and I think with the other groups, to, uh, believe it or not, House and Glenarm included, my House and Glenarm yeah. groups, I can't speak for others, you know, like, um, but even with my House and Glenarm groups, you know, I think that a lot of, like, the reason that was so that stuff was so crazy and similar to human host was because you know there was a lot of improvisation and also we were teenagers so when you're a teenager you're still trying to figure things out yeah. you don't really have your identity completely formed 
And that kind of contributes to like the quality of your work. I think that like all there's all kinds of examples of young musicians who benefited from not having a completely fully formed <laughs> style and yeah. being able to like do things in a really original way as a result of that. And that's why I think, you know, I looked back to Dowson Glenarm. It wasn't like I wanted to be young again. I was like, I want to be confused again. <laughs> mm. How can I put myself in that situation? You know, and I don't know. I mean, like, there's probably billions of books written about stuff like, you know, like this, like the Tibetan Book of the Dead or whatever, or like books about yoga and stuff. Turn off, was it tune in? Turn drop on, drop out, out you know, like <laughs> yeah. turn off your mind, relax and float downstream, you know, yeah. like it's all this stuff, you know, that's kind of just what I said to myself, you know, like uh, somewhere near the end of CCS, you know, and when I realized that that just wasn't possible within that group's context, I had to do a new group and it had to be like something that wasn't music strictly. You know, it had to be a mix of many different ideas, just like the Taos and Glenarm days, where everybody would throw in the performance art with the poetry, with the music, you know, and the activism, you know. But, yeah, you know, I think that direct political activism, you know, really traditional, conventional political activism is not uh, a human host thing. Otherwise, I would say human host is basically a Taos and Glenarm project. Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> you know, even though like tons of people who never knew what that was were involved with it, you know. Yeah, with human host, I think there's there's less of a compulsion or or drive or something to like satisfy the crowd or something in a traditional way. Would you say that that's um this is kind of a weird way to say it, but uh I mean, I mean, I'll be honest like I want like, I still, you know, even though, like, you know, I'm realistic and I understand what I'm doing is, like, pretty weird, as yeah. in, but my art is really weird, like, you know, I, I would love it if everybody liked what I was doing. Right. Uh, and I consider, like, everything that we've done, with a possible exception of the Human Host movie, I think that everything that we've ever done, you know, which, by the way, let me just back up for a minute here. The Human Host movie is my project, you know, that was something I directed and produced, and yeah. that's even though it is about a human host, it's inspired by human host. That's me, you know. That's that's my work, you know, and my manipulation of other people's work. It's not really a human host thing, but anyway, it's not. A, yeah, it's not a collaboration. Yeah, it's not anyone. a collaboration yeah. at all. No, I was yeah. I was absolutely at the helm of that from start to finish. Yeah. You know, like so. Okay, now that we got that out of the way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. As far as I'm concerned, you know, human hosts, all of human hosts' work should be something that's entertaining, and I would love it if everybody loved it and thought it was fun and enjoyable. I'd like people to like it more than anything and just be entertained by yeah. it. And, you know, if they can be entertained and also enlightened by it, that's even way better. That's exceeding my wildest dreams, you know. Um, that's what I'm interested in doing with it. That's my ultimate goal, you know, having the work, like, be as organic and fun for me as it is for people who are interacting with it. Yeah. Or hearing it or whatever you want to call Yeah. Whatever you want to call it. I, I definitely think that Human Host is totally unconfrontational. I don't think there's anything confrontational about it whatsoever. Right. Yeah. But do you think it's perceived that way sometimes? Maybe. Or, yeah, yeah. Maybe. I don't really understand a lot of 
other people's perception of it. Um, and it's not so much that I don't care, but like I said, to me, it's like what I look for is just that people enjoy it and are, it makes them happy, you know, yeah. like and stuff like that. You know, like if I see that, I kind of turn off anything else like a filter kind of comes on <laughs> and yeah. it's like okay you know like if they compare human host to some band i hate or something Definitely. or if somebody says this reminds me of some crappy tv show i never watch you know <laughs> right, right you know like i'm not gonna feel bad about it at all not even a little oh yeah like i'm gonna be like cool they liked this that's right. all i care about they like this they bought a record they paid their admission at the show and got their money's worth and had a good time, and hopefully uh, we'll tell other people about it, and hopefully not regret coming to the show yeah. ever, and, you know, look at it as a good memory. I, yeah, you know, like, all, I mean, I'm not, I, I definitely, like, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd love people to love it, you know. Again, like I said, though, from the beginning, I knew it would be a huge success for me personally, because I knew that me and the people I'm close with, you know, bandmates and bandmates friends you know collaborators collaborators friends like would like it i knew right. that would happen you know like and that's really all that mattered to me from the beginning you know so i guess i guess like you know even though i really don't think it should be perceived as as confrontational like everybody's entitled to their own opinion but you know i guess like i do view it as something where like you know if there's any acceptance for it at all that's fine. I don't care how much or how little. Oh, yeah. I would prefer it to be, like, way more, but it definitely wouldn't be any sweat off my back if there weren't a million human host fans. <laughs> and, and, like, I know you did the, these, like, massively long tours and stuff. Like, like what, what have they been like over the years? Oh, they were great. You know, the whole thing about, like, touring... Um, I'm still interested in doing that overseas. Um, kind of, like off and on in the process of trying to secure like you know uh, you know booking agent in Europe yeah. and stuff like that oh, you know okay. but um yeah I mean the whole thing with touring in America is that you know I figured out you know I was booking all the tours and stuff and I never wanted to do that I always wanted to get an agent and stuff because I would just prefer to concentrate on the creative stuff it's just what I like doing more. Oh, yeah. Promoting the stuff is pretty fun too, but like booking shows and then all the logistics involved with that is a drag, really, really big drag. You know? Yeah. Um, huge drag in every way. And, you know, that's something that I used to have to do and I was never paid for that, you know. I didn't like right. didn't act like a weirdo and be like, I'm gonna take extra money from the show because you guys didn't help me. You know? Because <laughs> yeah. like none of my except for Rick Weaver, none of my bandmates None of my collaborators in Human Host, except for Rick Weaver, have ever helped to, to like, book our tours or shows. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was a drag. And, you know, I only ever really figured out, you know, how to, like, break even on tour. Yeah. We had, a, I think, one or two tours, maybe three that profited, you know? like. Yeah. But even when we profited, it was, like, all went back into the band, like, to buy equipment and stuff like that. You know, it was never like we, like, went out and had a you know big like rib dinner or something <laughs> like you know like at a nice restaurant or something you know never anything like that happened yeah. you know like so it was just like i was leading this kind of life that was just sort of blah you know it's like i'd have an exciting life on tour and then just spend the rest of the year just like hustling you know yeah, and it was computer. yeah i mean and just like local gigs you know like playing a lot and it was just like 
you know, networking and stuff. I don't know. I just, I mean, it's cool to like talk to people that are doing similar things to you and doing like, you know, show booking, all that, you know, comparing notes and all that stuff. But it's just like, I don't know. You know, I mean, it, it was something that I think would have been way more fun if I didn't have to do it nearly as often. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if I could have just been just like writing, recording, practicing, playing you know, like shows and that's it, yeah. you know, like that would have been great, you know, or like, you know, making more movies, making more video pieces, doing more writing, you know, there's so many elements that got kind of lost as a result of all the touring because, you know, really, you know, I did want to make a living, you know, right. off the work, you know, I really did. And that's why I kept booking these tours because nobody else would do it for me, yeah. but I didn't want to be, you know, I didn't want to have a day job or a boss or anything like that. So doing this, even though I was hardly making any money, had to live with my mom rent free for the most part during the whole time from 2002 to like uh, 2000, early 2009, very early 2009, winter 2009. You know, that was the times that we were touring on the regular. And, uh, you know, it just, I don't know. It was like, okay, I can do this forever and maybe eventually get to the point where I'm just living on the road. You know, but I really didn't even, you know, I don't know, something like, you know, something, I mean, we were playing very low budget shows, so a lot of times we would have to sleep on people's couches, Yeah, you know, stuff like that. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't, I don't even care about being glamorous, but just the idea of like not having uh, private time, yeah, having to like live in a car with other people, having to just be in a car for excessive amount of time, you know. It just wasn't, I don't know, you know, maybe under different circumstances, I would want to do that forever, maybe, you know, but like, just right. some of this stuff is like, so tedious, you know what Fuck I mean? It. <laughs> it's like, you had been doing tours in different bands yeah. pretty regularly since like, 1998? 97, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. and it's like, cause I feel like so many of us are in this position where it's like, we can't quite get over the hump or something of like like I feel like we're all in this position of like okay we'll do all the things yeah we'll be the booking yeah agent, the driver the performer the yeah. manager and roadie like, yeah yeah and it's like gets to a point where it's like can't one thing be like <laughs> real tight or something I mean, I always joke with people. I'm like, you know, I know you like the D the DIY scene. I personally am more into the DIFM scene, the do it for me scene. <laughs> if somebody out there listening to this can get me an in with the do it for me scene, mm. I'm looking to be part of that immediately, as yeah. in yesterday. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, I, I'm sorry, you know, I don't romanticize that stuff. I mean, whatever, Ian McKay, great, fine, you know, like, he's great, I, I don't hate him, Hazel Adkins, totally cool, they're all awesome, I'm, I think they're just amazing, you know, but, like, yeah. I'm not one of them, the only reason I ever did anything DIY, at least with Human Host, uh, is because nobody else would do it for me, yeah. it was, like, the lesser of well, I can't even say lesser of two evils. It was the only choice. <laughs> there was yeah. no one offering me anything. I mean, I got to say that this guy, Jesse Garrett Armstrong, who ran a label called Firecracker Firecracker, oh, yeah. which later changed its name to Large Father Limited, uh, he did help me promote a, a human host tour that was a coast-to-coast -to -coast tour in 2008, the biggest tour we ever did for two months. 
And, like, that was hugely helpful. I mean, I was, like, blown away by how much he helped me. And also a girl named Allison, um, Allison Tullier. Jesse Garrett Armstrong and Allison Tullier were just, they went above and beyond the Call of Duty and really helped a lot with the the Human Host Tour in 2008. But other than that, no one ever helped me book a tour. I right. Mean, you know, right. They were doing mailings. They were doing promotion, basically. They weren't booking, you know. But yeah. still, that's that's money. You know, they're putting oh, money yeah. into it, you know. Yeah. And they're putting energy and time into it. Yeah. So that was really cool. I was really happy about that, you know. Yeah. Otherwise, though, you know, it was always, like, just me or me and Rick Weaver, you know. And, you know, I think Rick kind of likes it. Rick has a different attitude about it than me, but he definitely doesn't romanticize it, I don't think. I think right. he, like, also sees it as being just sort of like a, you know, a formality, you know. Oh, yeah. It's not his life's work to be a booking agent. Yeah. <laughs> and none of us ever wanted to do that, you know, like, but, you know, I had to, I felt like, because I didn't have any other job. I mean, me and Rick were really the only people in the band for a while who were, um doing nothing but music for like a job. I mean, even Kim Kafuir, who was with human host, she like, she was touring with us regularly, but you know, she always had jobs outside of music, Yeah, you know, like, and even though she did just as many tours as Rick and put in tons of effort and creativity was one of the most prolific members of the group, you know, you know, she definitely didn't want to be a booking agent either, you know, like, and you know, yeah, I don't know, you know, just that stuff is like weird. I mean, I I think booking agents are great. I think it's great when people can be like Ian McKay and do everything themselves, you know. But it's like, you know, not everybody can be him. <laughs> right. There's that one guy who's really superlative at that, and that there's a reason, you know, because he's one of a kind dude. I don't think everybody can be capable of that. I really don't, you know. Well, I had a brunch from Grand Buffet on one of these, and he was he was describing their band starting and he's like he's like this story would be a lot cooler if it ended up with me as like famous <laughs> like <laughs> you know it's like i feel like i feel like sometimes with like yeah fugazi or something like that it looks so cool the diy aspect because it sort of ended in this like them yeah, having this yeah. like cultural like prominence or something but it's like when it's not like that which is for like almost everyone I feel like it gets to a point where it's like, what am I doing? I don't know. I mean, like, I think that, like, like I don't look back at that stuff as, like, a big mistake. Because, like I said, I did learn how to break even. So, really, I could, you know, go back on the road whenever I want. You know, oh, I yeah. know how to do it. It's, like, I know how to get things done and just make it. I know how right. to like, get out there and be able to eat and stuff and not be homeless. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, the basics that, you know, survival type stuff, you know. but like. You know, like, I I think that's a great skill that I learned, and I think that that is a huge success in that realm, you know, but, like, I think the other thing that makes it kind of a success, you know, the fact, was the fact that I was able to sort of pull back and be like, I'm going to go crazy if I keep doing Mm. this, you know? (laughs) You know, like, I look back at that as a really good thing, because then by sort of cutting the touring out, or at least excessive touring, you know, large-scale regular touring, cutting that out, you know, it's like that gave me more time to do more creative things and come up with, you know, a lot of the ideas for the human host movie. That was really the number one reason why we yeah. stopped touring basically. Cause making a movie is a huge, huge thing. It's just like a giant 
ordeal. It's amazing. I loved doing that. That was totally the opposite, even though that was a super complicated thing. Um, unlike booking a tour, which is a super complicated thing. Like, I really love making a movie, and I'd love to make more, but, you know, unlike booking a tour, doing a movie costs a yeah. lot of money. <laughs> so, you know, I had to get a day job and, and stuff like that, like when, you know, production for the movie started on the regular. Yeah. Because I was paying for it, you know. Right. But I was happy that I did that, and I'd definitely do it again if I ever am in a position to invest money like that. You yeah. Know? So. And what was, like, the... the... What was your, like, thesis behind the movie? Uh, I kind of just wanted to create a visual cinematic version of the summarization of Humanos that I gave you earlier. Yeah. The idea of, like, many, many, many different ideas colliding together and creating a confusion that leads people to a conclusion, you know, that's really concrete and helpful. That's, like, the goal, you know? sort of individual to them probably yeah exactly an open-ended thing but something that's still really incredibly meaningful you know i mean because that's how i look at at human host you know yeah so it's my vision really of human host this is how i that movie was me saying this is how i feel about doing this and you know what all the things it's led me through and all like the ways that it's been really fun and and weird (laughs) yeah that's awesome and what like i don't know anything about it really at all what what is the um you mentioned this upcoming like choreography uh yeah that's just kind of an extension of a lot of other things that we've done before in terms of like making mixing up performance art with music you know performance live performance of music with performance art, you know? Yeah. You know, I'd, I'd been, like, kind of... You know, Human Host for the past couple of years has been, like, the live shows have been way more focused on the music, and there hasn't really been a show, so to speak, in terms right. of visuals, at least not much of one. You know, sometimes we perform alongside weird video feedback pieces that Lucas would create. Lucas Rambo, again. Uh, but other than that, you know, it's been mostly just me and a couple people sitting around playing songs they're really nice and melodic in my opinion (laughs) and fun to play you know but uh yeah you know i started thinking a lot about the elements of the older performances that i liked and decided i didn't really want to go back to those but i really liked the physical element of it and how like you know just using like the human form as an actual like uh form of media even like was really really cool and you know, I got to see the dance group Flucked a couple right. times up here in New York since I moved here back in March of last year, of 2014, and really blown away by them. But, you know, I couldn't really get to every single one of their shows. And, you know, I wasn't seeing a lot of other... I, I was checked out other people doing choreography, and I wasn't seeing too much else quite like them. And I really wanted there to be way more stuff like them that I could see more easily and interact with. But it's hard to find, you know... So I was like, you know, maybe I'll do my own version of Flucked, you know. So, I mean, I, you know, I wouldn't say that what I'm writing is, I'm not really positive if it's a meditation or not. Because the thing is, this piece might even be credited to me, Mike Apicella, and oh. and not Human House. Okay. So the idea that it's sort of a little more calculated maybe is a hint that it might be more my thing than Human Hosts, you know. Yeah. I'm not really sure, to tell you the truth. Um you know, there's so many elements of that that are sort of up in the air because it might be broadcast on television. 
um might not i don't know exactly where yeah. it would end up if it wasn't uh it might be part of a show a tv show that has a narrative even you yeah. know like somebody else's project oh, that's cool. scripted and has continuing stories and stuff i don't really know um i can't mention names because you know you know how that goes right. <laughs> when you're developing a project you got to be like kind of walk on eggshells for a little while yeah. before you can really give out any cold hard facts you know like so basically what i can tell you is that yeah it'll be very physical very silly <laughs> there's some costumes involved you know um yeah. nothing ornate but like bold looking costumes uh there's music involved um, the music of one of my favorite artists, one of the biggest influences of Human Host is going to be used, um, music by a guy named Chris Myers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, his project, 19th Century Styles, music is featured in this piece. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of props. <laughs> uh, it could be probably called a comedy bit even by some people. I don't know if I would call it that. Yeah. But I wouldn't shun the term either. Yeah. You know, I've never thought, I never think of things in terms of what is serious or what is funny whenever I make anything. So, you know, I think humor's always been around in my stuff. You know, just, I don't think it's ever dominated, you know. Yeah. But who knows, you know, maybe it dominates this. I'm not sure, you know. Yeah. <laughs> We're still rehearsing it. Rehearsals are going great. I'm working with uh, Ben Corman and Alex Rubin. Two really great artists who actually are both from Maryland originally and now live up here. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, Ben's involved with a comedy group called Heavenly Creatures, and he's a Purchase alumni. And uh, Alex, you know, he's, he's, he does a lot of different things. I think he's, he's working with Troma right now. Mm. He's, uh, yeah, he's working, uh, helping to promote um, and launch fundraising campaigns for Troma Films. Yeah. So he's got, these are two guys who are extremely talented, really cool, funny, awesome people. I'm so stoked to be working with them, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Is there anything else you would want to mention? Um, yeah, uh, you know, uh, probably the main outlet for humanist work nowadays has been Splice Today. That's who's hosting this podcast yeah. <laughs> and who publishes most of the, the literary works of Human Host, the writing of Human Host, which is probably the most uh, active sector of, mm. of Human Host right now. Um, and, you know, it's cool that they're hosting this also. Some people will be like, hey, wait a minute, conflict of interest. But no, like that there's kind of a history of this sort of thing. Like, you know, I love uh, Warren Publications a lot. Are you familiar with them? No. It's just like this company that published magazine-sized comic books aimed at adults specifically, but they weren't like, you know, pornographic or anything. Yeah. Well, maybe they were a little bit. <laughs> but they were like kind of violent, just very graphic. Yeah. You know, there's more mature readers kind of stuff. They were really the first company to, to publish a lot of comic books aimed at adults instead of kids. And they were an independent publisher too. And at every issue they would have an artist profile, you know, and, you know, where they would basically conduct an interview with an artist, you know, in-house. Oh, <laughs> so the editorial so that's, staff, that's what this is. the editorial staff would interview the artist and then publish the artist's response, you know, <laughs> and that's what I feel like I'm doing right now. So I'm really proud of that because <laughs> this is the modern version of that. You know, they even did stuff like they would do uh, an awards show. <laughs> they had an awards show. You would actually, the guy who was the publisher, Jim Warren would rent out a, 
space in a hotel <laughs> and give awards to his own employees who were really great artists and stuff, you know. Um, well, many of whom are now like super famous comic artists, you know, like. So, I mean, it was, you know, I, I'm I'm glad that uh, Splice Today is supporting me in many different ways. They have not really interfered editorially with anything that Human Hosts has done or that I've done for them because I've written stuff under other names and my own name for Splice Today. Yeah. Um, in addition to Human Hosts. But I'm focusing really majorly on the Human Host writing right now. Um, and, uh, you know, it's it's really great having a great time with that. and. Uh, you know, um, there's plenty more of that to come for sure. You know, that's, awesome. that's, that's just like something that's very much in its infancy, I think, you know? Yeah. So it's exciting to have that as being a new part, uh, a new head <laughs> growing from the human host Hydra or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it, it must be nice kind of to, I mean, I guess I'm kind of doing the same thing, but it's like with the podcast, but it's like, it must be nice to have something that's totally an extension of human host that's like outside of this whole world we're talking about of like booking these punk shows and stuff yeah like that. yeah yeah no i mean we would play a lot of different kind of shows but we would play punk shows too you know, i don't mean like just these DIY low budget shows, shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah i know what you're saying low budget shows yeah no i mean the, inter- the internet's one of the coolest things that's ever happened you know, it gives people just an unlimited audience, and, yeah. you know, that's, you know, like I said, it's my goal to just have as many people, you know, get to know human hosts as possible, and yeah. hopes that they'll really, really enjoy it, and, you know, have a good time, you know, that's that's my main thing, I mean, I just want everybody to have a good time, it's just like a little bit, my idea of a good time is a little bit different than everybody else's. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get into some of this writing, um, I want to mentioned that before Mike started, he uh, told me that one of the voices he's going to be reading in is called Nasal Martin Luther King. And that's why you hear me like giggling throughout this whole thing. I I couldn't stop thinking about that, Uh, which he said was fine. So let's go. The paranoid stigmata that often attached itself, bat-like, to the Platonian cornucopia where flip-flam men often seek weird Noah's Mirage Parlor. Bleach Patrol's honor is a nebulous orgasm for only the most outrageously worthless remnants of the Portuguese Empire. Flash dream as fully committed to the abandonment of the innocent, so it has focused its energies on meeting the immaterial needs of both those who torture demons and those who refuse to believe that torture exists at all. On the main floor, there are three gaping bedrooms. Upstairs, the master has been stuffed and mounted on the wall, along with his wife, his children, and even some of his in-laws. 
A special touch. Just added before time burst forth from normal Joey's universal womb. Trek Gill, a satanic robo butler. Trek Gill, Christmas with rubber lemmings. Trek Gill. The bogus disability claim made on behalf of a telekinetic bee. Alright, thank you once again to Mike. We'll see you next week.